0: Grace Church, eleven fifteen. How you guys doing today? All right, maximum love of all time. Uh, my name is Dan. I lead uh, student ministries here at, at Medina East, and uh, it's really cool. Student ministries is comprised from everybody from sixth through twelfth grade. And we hang out in a variety of different environments throughout the week. We're just trying to get to know Jesus for real, discover who he is, be in each other's lives, be, be transformed by him. So student ministry is real cool. If you or somebody you know is in sixth through 12th grade, please come uh, find me after the service. I'd love to share uh, what God is doing, in my heart, and, and uh, you know how God is moving forward uh, in that ministry. Uh, and if you're newer, or maybe if, if it's even your first time here, like Colin said, we just want to extend an extra special welcome to you. We're so grateful that... That you're here and that you're uh, just willing to take time to, to check, check us out, see maybe, you know, how we uh, try to follow Jesus here. So if you're new, if it's your first time, we love you. We're glad you're here. And for those that are uh, joining online, we just want to say we love you, too. We're with you. We care about you. And uh, hope that you feel the maximum love vibes coming at you because we do. We love you for real. So, uh, you know, we've been in, uh, in this series called God Is, and we, we're actually kind of in the middle of the series right now. And what we're talking about is just the nature uh, and the character of God. And so if you've missed any part of the series, we would really encourage you to, you know, kind of check it out online, get caught up. Super powerful series. The past few weeks have really been transformative and exciting for me in a lot of ways. And uh, I think it's just a really a timely and a beautiful series. And so if you've missed any of it, please check it out. It's awesome. I really, really dig it. But basically, like I said, we're investigating who God is. Who is God? What's the deal with God? And the reason why we're getting so into it is because it's really important. God is actually a pretty big deal. And we've kind of been sort of anchoring some of our thought process in this uh, quote by this guy, A.W. Tozer. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us, all right? What we think about God, it shapes our worldview. It shapes how we interact with reality. And it really kind of, what we think about God, the the convictions that we have about him and our understanding of him, it really impacts the way that we view, the way that we view all of reality in every different circumstance. So it's kind of like, Our convictions about God and our understanding of him are like, you know, glasses. That's how we perceive reality, you know. And so if we have this conviction or this understanding that God is distant or if we think he's like inaccessible or permissive or angry or disappointed, whatever, whatever view we have of God, whatever uh, conviction we have about that. It's gonna impact the way that we think about everything. We think God is angry. We're gonna look at every situation and every circumstance kind of through that, through that lens. We think God is dismissive. That's gonna impact our view. And so the question is, if this is so impactful and so important to how we view and how we navigate reality, how do we get a clear and a right understanding of who God is? How do we come to a clear understanding of this God who is so important? And I'm here today to tell you that I am very grateful That we don't have to just kind of stab around in the the dark to, to try and figure it out. We actually have a clear definition of who God is, and God in his love and in his grace has given us a clear representation of who he is. In fact, his character is woven through all of the Bible, but there's one place in particular where his character is definitively declared. In fact, God audibly declares who he is, and he does that in Exodus chapter 34, which is what we're basing this series on and where we're hanging out today. So if you got a Bible, if you want to blast that thing open and get to Exodus 34, uh, if you didn't bring one, that's no big deal. We have some in the uh, chairs underneath you, and you can find uh, Exodus 34 in those black Bibles on page uh, 62. And we say this every week. If you don't own a Bible or just like straight up don't have, uh, you know, a copy of God's word, we want you to, to avail yourself to that copy. Just take it, make it a gift from us to you. We think it is super duper duper important that you have a copy of God's word, and we want to hook you up with it. So just take it. It's a gift from us to you. All right. And so this is the place where God audibly describes, he declares who he is. He says his name and he describes what he's like. And we've been encouraging everybody at our church, you know, if you're into it, to, to memorize uh, this passage of scripture. It's going to be Exodus 34 verses 6 and 7. And so we've said, this is it. This is where God, you know, in a very clear way says, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. And in fact, we we consider it so important that we do something that we don't normally do around here, which is read this. we've been reading this out loud together uh, as a family. So I actually want to invite you uh, with me right now to just go ahead and read this passage of Scripture out loud together. Very, very high point of Scripture. And so would you do that with me? The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. Awesome, thank you guys for doing that with me. And so what we've been doing, again, over the past couple weeks is going by, going through this line by line. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the Lord, the Lord, how God actually has a name, that he's not just a blind force or a religious construct, but that his name is Yahweh and that he can be known. He knows you and he wants to have a relationship with you. He cares about you. And so if that's a new concept to you, maybe you're like, I didn't know that. Man, that's something really important to press into. God is personally available and accessible and wants to have a direct connection with you. He doesn't want you to just check some boxes or do some religious stuff. Man, he wants to have a personal and intimate relationship with you. In fact, he wants to have such a personal and intimate relationship with you that we got into this next thing, that God is compassionate and gracious. And last week, Pastor Tony talked about how this indicates to us that at the very deepest and most... um, intense level. God wants to hold you close and protect you and, and, and keep you safe and, and express his love and his grace to you. A very beautiful sermon from last week. I would recommend that you check it out if you if you didn't get a chance to hear it. And then, like I said, today we're going to talk about uh, slow to anger. In the weeks to come, we're going to talk about how God is abounding in love and faithfulness and that he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. But like I said, this week, our big jam is going to be slow to anger. That's what we're going to be talking about. And, uh, you know, I, I just really, even when we start talking about anger at any level, I know that that, even that word could start to kind of strike some chords in our minds and, and in our hearts. And so I just want to really, to the very best of my ability, try to navigate this conversation uh, with sensitivity and, and and actually really, hopefully get to a really vulnerable place with you guys. I, I love you and I care about you. And so those of you that know me know I like to get kind of intense sometimes anyway. So I just am going to try and take us to a place, hopefully together we can all go to this place of of intensity and vulnerability together. Uh, But like I said, before we really start uh, getting after it, I I know that I'm not down here very often. You know, I'm normally upstairs. We have an upper room. I'm the student ministries guy. And so some of you might not be too familiar with me or whatever. So I kind of want to just do this thing that public speakers do sometimes, which is show a group of people a picture of their family to, like, justify that they're a real person. So here's a picture of me. See, I'm totally totally normal. (laughs) And uh, this is my son, James. This is my wife, Charlie. This is my son, uh, Scotty. And this picture was taken on our best vacation ever, all right? It wasn't that long ago. We have some friends that uh, have a lake house that they let us borrow. I'm just really grateful God has given me uh, the gift of, it's overwhelming. He's given me the gift of uh, an amazing family. In fact, you might be so overwhelmed and distracted by the beauty of what's happening in this realm right here that you might uh, not notice what I always do when I see this picture, and that is the absurd and ridiculous furrowed brow that, you know, kind of overtakes my whole face, all right? And so the prominent furrowing of my brow is, is uh, something that shows up in pictures a lot of times. And so, like I said, all right, this picture was taken on the best vacation ever. Just crazy family unity and love, perfect. You know, it's not always super harmonious, but it was just a very, a really sweet uh, time together. And, you know, I felt like we were really bonding and stuff. We were playing this game Pickleball, which is like, uh, it's kind of like uh, tennis, but for like, for people that aren't very good at tennis. And it was just like really fun. And we were drinking like smoothie. I mean, we were making like, you know, whatever kale and raspberry smoothies or whatever. It was just which is good. I like those. So that was a really good thing, you know. And my kids were running around like, "I love you, Dad!" Like, "Oh, yeah, Lake House!" Like, you're so "I love you." My childhood is good. Oh yeah. And I was like, "Yes, yeah, your childhood." <laughs> I'm trying to be a good dad or whatever. And my wife is beautiful, and you know, we're be, like, we're being all flirty and like getting. I mean, we we're on vacation, so we're like getting PG-13 kind of or whatever. You know what I mean? We're married, so it's okay. And it, like, I mean, you know, you know what I mean. I think you guys know what I mean, right? Oh, you get what I'm implying, right? <laughs> Woo! So, and so, you know, all this good stuff. All this good stuff. And here, my forehead looks like the Grand Canyon, all right? And so, so what I have, you know, the thing is, what I've got is a little case of what some of you guys, some of you guys might be familiar with. is a little case of what is called RBF, all right? RBF, I got all over, which. I think you might. Yeah, I think you know that phrase, right? It's rest. It's resting brow face is the is the expression. And so, you know what the thing is about that is that my face in this picture, all right, and my face for my entire life, in it, it, everybody's face, it reveals what's going on deep inside of all of us, right? We all, I think, we're all aware that the face is kind of like the place, in, in some ways, that 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 can't hide what's happening emotionally deep inside. And so what I want to share with you kind of as we uh, kick it off is that this picture here, this, this picture of this guy and this picture right here is actually of a picture, is a picture of somebody that, that really kind of actually wrestles with, with anger. And uh, I'm somebody that, you know, I try to hide it and I try to mask it and I'm aware of like the, social, the socially acceptable levels of like being intense or whatever and I'm trying to be aware and navigate those things. But a lot of times, you know, I try to mask it, I try to hide it but I've got, I've got some anger uh, rumbling around inside of me, you know. And so when I was asked to speak on this topic, to talk about uh, anger and, and the nature and the character of God, I got to be honest with you, I, it, was, uh, it, called, it, it, it caused me to feel like I was being called into a real place of, of vulnerability and to stand in front of uh, you and to stand in front of you know my, this, my family and my people that the, the people that I love and that I care about and that I'm close with, and uh, to try to get to a vulnerable place with you. And to say, yeah, this is, this is the face of somebody who uh, is angry, you know. And I, and I come to this topic of anger personally with a lot of baggage. In fact, I would go so far as to say that I myself personally, I have an anger problem. I have an anger problem. And as I've navigated my life over the past couple of years, that's become kind of increasingly clear to me, especially as I pursue Jesus and discover his heart and his love. And I'm challenged by the ways that I navigate things. I'm coming to a pretty clear awareness that, man, I, I have an anger problem, and I hurt people. <clears throat> I hurt people close to me, and uh, I alienate people in my life, and I've done relational damage to people that uh, I live with, that I serve with, my family, uh, the people that I'm supposed to serve uh, and, and minister to in this church. I've, I've, I've done damage. I've done damage, and so I just want to. At this moment, again, as we're getting into this conversation, I just felt like I couldn't even get into it without telling you that as a leader of this church and as, uh, you know, a fellow traveler on this earth, I am sorry for anything that I've ever done to hurt you or anybody, uh, you know, in, in ways that you, maybe I've masked it, maybe you haven't seen the things that are going on deep within me as I wrestle through pain and confusion in my life or whatever, but I am sorry. I'm sorry. And I hope that uh, any of you that I've heard that you can forgive me for, for what I've done. And uh, I'm really grateful that we work. You know that we are operating in a church that is about great. That we're called grace because uh, I need. I know those that, that are close to me know that I need a lot of grace. So I'm really grateful for that. So there it is. I'm sorry, and I hope you can forgive me. And I love you all. I really do. As a family, I really love you a lot. <clears throat> but uh, I was motivated to to share that and to, and to move uh, kind of in that direction with our conversation today because uh, we've been reading this book uh, and kind of using this book, God Has a Name by this dude John Mark Homer as sort of a base, a, a kind of base from which we jump off to investigate um, Exodus 34. And, and so John Mark Homer is writing on this idea that God is slow to anger and then he reflecting on God's character says the same thing. I have an anger problem. This is actually a quote from Mark Homer's book. And he, you know, he contrasts God's character with his, and he says, "My, I have an anger problem. And then he goes on to say this, and man, it just, I'm telling you, it, it stuck so deeply into my heart when I was reading this the other day in preparation for this conversation. He goes on to say, my anger, uh, it isn't a yell and scream and punch a hole in the wall kind of anger. And that's why it stayed under the radar for so many years. My anger is a seething Internal kind of anger that leaks out as constructive criticism, unkind humor, and sarcastic digs about the people closest to me. People like my wife, my kids, my community. And he says, uh, and this sin, it wreaks havoc in my life. It wreaks havoc in my life. He says, it leaves a bloody mess. In its wake, crippling trust and and shattering intimacy. And I'll tell you guys what I can identify with that. I can as I look at my life and as I look at the thing, you know, I'm trying to be reasonable, trying to get it together or whatever, but I can see that in my life. I can identify with it. And I think all of us in this room and, and online and wherever you're hearing or connecting with this, I think we can all identify with that. I think we all have in some ways been contributors to some amount of anger. We've been overwhelmed by anger and have let that out and hurt other people. Or we have been recipients of it, people who have kind of I- experienced the fallout of anger, and we've been and we've been wounded, and we've been inflicted with with pain, and we and we've been hurt, and so we've either been the abuser or the abused or both, and I think that's that's really intense because what happens is that cripples trust and that shatters intimacy, and we see that occur at a very deep level, even in our relationship with God, that there is. As a result of sin, and this is just a true statement, as a result of sin, as a result of a rejection from the reality of God and his love and a turning away from him, that our even our relationship with God is fractured. And we are the Bible teaches that we are afraid and we hide and we want to deceive and lie and create our own little bubble of of self-justifying reality. And not only does it infect our relationship with God, it infects our relationship with other people. The sin, this, this sin of unhealthy anger, it infects our relationships with other people. And intimacy is jacked up and, and trust is broken. And I think we've all, we've all experienced an unhealthy approach. We all have been infected with this unhealthy understanding and experience of anger. And so I know this might be really painful. Like I said, I'm working through this, trying to figure it out, preparing for today's conversation But I would really ask you guys to go there uh, in your mind, in your heart, to think, man, in your relationships and in your experience in life, can you relate to to being hurt or to hurting other people as a result of anger? Have you you hurt? Have you caused pain? And can you relate to this? Because if you are somebody that is in that category, and I believe that most of us are, then what's happened is that that experience of unhealthy anger, it has shaded our view. It has shaded our our view of everything, our experience of reality. It's infected our capacity to have a a correct view of God. And if we get a jacked up view of God, if we don't, if we don't come correctly to the reality of who God is and his nature and his character, then it's going to, it's going to really impact everything. We're either going to reject him. We're just going to turn from him and say, I'm out, man. I can't, I I don't want to go there. Slow to anger, like anger. What's that? No, I'm gone. Or if we have a jacked up view of anger, we might try to use it to justify our own unhealthy anger. And we might try to lash out and slap Jesus' name on it or something like that and, and get to a place where we are really hurting other people. And so we desperately need, what I'm trying to say here, the point I'm trying to make is that we desperately need to get the right definition of anger. Because if we get it wrong, we're going to do a lot of damage. It's not going to be good. we got to get it right. Which is why I am so grateful, praise the Lord, that He has given us this definition and that he has told us that he is slow to anger. This is a really powerful phrase, very, very deep and very powerful. And so we're going to do our best in the time that we have to discover what it means and to try to really just extract what we can out of it and hopefully be transformed by the reality of his love. All right. So this word slow to anger, this, this phrase slow to anger is translated from a Hebrew term, which looks like that. All right. And so that's kind of hard to pronounce. It looks really beautiful, though, I think. I want to learn Hebrew at some point, but it's hard to pronounce, and so I wanted to spell it out pictorially phonetically for you. And so you pronounce it like this, Eric M. Um. All right, I feel pretty good about that. I've been waiting for a week. to. You guys know how long it took me? I spent, I spent three hours making sure these were equal, perfectly equal. Sorry, anyway, I'm trying to justify my anger with perfect powerpoint. But anyway, I'm so this is the best I got. Okay, so slow to anger, what it what it literally means, all right? If this isn't crazy enough, this is literally uh in Hebrew translated from this concept of being long of nostrils or long of nose, all right? So that's what it means. Slow to anger it means long of nose. So what I want you to do is get this picture in your mind right here. This is this is what we're going this this is where we're at right now, all right? And so turn to your neighbor and say, what does this have to do with anything? Where am I? What is this? This this seems kind of weird. I don't know. Okay. Thanks for asking that. I will tell you. So in a Hebrew, uh, in in the Hebrew language, normally the word anger is translated from concepts such as nose, heat, or hot nose. All right. It's like hot nose. I got a, I got a bad, got somebody cut me off, got a smoking case of hot nose. All right and so and so, when the Bible says that God is long of nostrils or long of nose, it means that it takes a long time it takes a long time for his nose to get hot okay and so this might seem ridiculous to you, which you know is understandable, but I think kind of in the back of our minds, we know that somehow the nose is connected in the same way that my forehead is connected to anger, our noses are connected to anger as well. sometimes when we 're really freaked out and upset, our noses will flare, and like there's some nostril action going on with in connection to our anger. And, and in a way to, to fight anger, a lot of times we try to slow our breathing, to slow our breath. And Hebrew, as a beautiful language, is aware of that and, and kind of draws on that idea that God is long of nostrils. And just to kind of solidify this and, and, and really get it deep, it, it reminds me of this article, healthline.com. I read uh, just the other day about anger management, which I need to read a lot of those kind of articles, I guess. But um, they said, this is how you chill out on the anger thing. You got to learn to breathe, man. And so when you're angry, you might notice your breathing gets quicker and shallower. And one easy way to calm your body and reduce your anger is to slow and deepen your breathing. And they say, try breathing slowly into your nose, slowly into your nose, and out your mouth. Breathe deeply from your belly rather than your chest. Repeat breaths as necessary. All right. And this proves to be true. You can chill yourself out with a little bit of Slow breathing. All right. And so imagine this scenario. All right. Let's say you're a human swordfish guy here and you're just like chilling out trying to do your thing. And let's engage in a hypothetical scenario. All right. Let's just say hypothetically, you have the kind of job where you teach middle school students. All right. In a church, maybe hypothetically. And let's just say it's a pandemic, maybe at some point in the future or the past. It you know, there's some kind of worldwide this totally hypothetical like thing going on. And maybe you're, to fight that pandemic, you're trying to, like, not spread it with, like, everybody having access to a water, a watering fountain, a water fountain. So you hand out little bottles of water, maybe something like this, all right? And let's say you're trying to teach, okay, and you're, and you're like, pouring your guts out to a room of, like, 30 or 40 middle school students. And you're, like, at the peak moment of where you're just really, like, uh, like gushing as much truth and love as you can and, and sincerity to this group of people. And then this starts to happen. I don't know can't, like now. Carissa, give me another bottle of water. And you're like, what happens in that scenario in that completely hypothetical scenario is that anger gets introduced anger gets introduced to the equation, all right? And so you hear you hear the crickle or the crackle or whatever, and you're like, oh boy, how how would I, in this hypothetical scenario, respond to this? I'm either gonna get a hot nose or I'm gonna have long nostrils, all right? And so you maybe if you're fortunate you take a moment to take a deep breath <sighs> when you allow the the beauty of the long nose to to do its work and then you chill out the moment passes and you have not freaked out and lost your job which is great cuz this is the first time you've ever had health insurance and you used to <laughs> pour concrete and it's just like you've done both you've like you've done manual labor you know so you're really fortunate about that so uh, this is why, you know, Proverbs 14 will say, whoever is long of nose has great understanding, but one who is quick tempered displays folly. All right. And so long of nose is the opposite of freaking out. Even if a situation is frustrating, even if it, there, there maybe would be some reason to kind of justify being a little bit upset, it's taking that long nose posture, <laughs> breathing deeply and, and being slow to anger. All right, and this is God, this is the the nature of god he doesn 't let the anger just immediately blast him in the face. He takes a long the long nose approach all right so God himself is Eric am. he is slow to anger like i said it 's not that he doesn 't have something he doesn 't have feelings or frustration. he feels God feels very very deeply he He totally is not a robot or just some kind of vague uh, Construct or some vapor or some blind force somewhere. God is a person, and he he engages with things in, a, in an emotional way. He feels anger, but he controls he controls that frustration. He controls anger and he controls rage. He doesn't get worked up. He doesn't just fly off the handle. And I think, like I said, the reason why that's so important to understand is because a lot of times in our experience, we we think when we as soon as we hear anger and as soon as we think about God, we're just like God is just about to fly off the handle and just like cut everybody down, you know. And that might really impact how we view him, how we interact and how we think about him. Just like Mark Comer says again in his book, he says, I'm not sure how you imagine God, but. If you think of him as mercurial and ready to zap you with lightning the second you blow it, that's just not what God is like at all. God is slow to anger. He doesn't randomly just fly off the handle. That's not his style at all. And so I really want to just establish that and pour into that. If you have a concept of God in which he's just ready to zap you and he's looking to nail you on a technicality, that's not accurate. He loves you. He's slow to anger. He's slow to anger. Merciful. But on the other side, you know, he is slow to anger, but he is also slow to anger. And there is, you know, there is a reality to his anger and to his frustration. There are things that frustrate and anger God. There are things that break his heart. And in fact, we see this play out in the book of Jonah as an example. So God, uh, Jonah is an amazing little short book in in the Old Testament. I would highly encourage that you check it out if you've never read it. And I'm not gonna get too into it today, but basically God sent this dude Jonah to the city of Nineveh, all right? Nineveh was the city that was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire was known for being the most barbaric and oppressive empire to date. Just vicious, malicious, terrible violence, inventing ways to be evil and to be violent. Think of like the Third Reich, just like aggressively, intentionally evil. And so God sees the evil of the Assyrian Empire And he is aware of it, and he sends Jonah to go call them out. And Jonah reluctantly eventually gets there. And this is what happens. Jonah, speaking the words of God, he says this, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. You guys are done, man. And and Nineveh, 40 days and you're toast. That's it. And so the Ninevites, what's crazy is when they hear this, this phrase, this very, very short phrase in Hebrew that they're done, they respond to that by saying, oh, snap, like, man, maybe we should do something about that. And so they respond right in the very next verse, the Ninevites believed God. And then Jonah, the book of Jonah goes on to tell that the Ninevites completely changed from their ways. They abandon all this violence and all this barbaric oppression. And they just say, okay, we recognize that God is the deal and we're sorry and we repent. And as And as God sees that, because he is slow to anger, and because he's not just out to destroy and hurt instantly, but he wants to give people a chance, look at how he responds. It says, when God saw what they did, when these violent, oppressive, barbaric people, when they repented, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented, and he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. God's like, we're good, man. And the question is, why? Why does God Why does God change his... Change his plan and say, okay, I am not gonna, I'm not gonna destroy you. I, I'm I'm gonna be cool with you. Because he is slow to anger. He's slow to anger. He wants people to turn. He doesn't take pleasure in the destruction of the evil. He wants people to turn and to embrace his grace. In fact, sometimes he he's so gracious and so kind and so patient and so long-suffering that it actually freaks people out. They're like, we can't handle it. And that's what happens to Jonah. And so Jonah 4:2, it says. Jonah speaking says, that's what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish, which is like the opposite direction of Nineveh. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. He's like, I knew you were going to go long nose on them, God. I knew you were going to long nose those Ninevites. And he refers to Exodus 34. See, compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in God, abounding in, in steadfast love. And so Jonah, the book of Jonah, it ends kind of on this positive note with God uh, you, you know, being, being recognized as gracious and, and the guy who's not into God's grace kind of looking sort of stupid for not really recognizing the value and the beauty of God's love. And so that's the picture that we get of God being slow to anger. But here's what happens. In the history of Assyria, time passes. And about 150 years go by, and Assyria starts to revert to their old ways of violence and rejection of God and their, and, their, and their hatred and their wickedness. And we see how God responds to this in the book of Nahum, all right? And so though God is gracious and slow to anger, and he totally is just emphatically slow to anger, and he's slow to anger with Assyria, but Assyria continuously rebels and sins and does these evil and these wicked things. And this is how God responds with respect to Assyria and their wickedness, all right? Nahum 1 verse 2, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. And after 150 years, though God is slow to anger, after a century and a half, he's like, all right, you guys have crossed the line. Enough is enough. And now he's not flying off the handle. He's slow to anger. But after a century and a half of wickedness, God says, this is it, man. You've crossed the line. He's slow to anger, but he is not totally blindly indifferent to suffering and to wickedness. And so what I want you to notice is that God's anger, his, his, his avenging wrath is not something that you want to shrug off. Right? It says he is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and he vents wrath against his enemies. And this seems pretty rough. You know, this is pretty this is pretty hardcore. And the reality is, honestly, is that it is pretty rough. God is serious business, and his wrath is a real thing. And what I want you guys to notice, though, or, or what I want to kind of draw out just a little bit, and this is a little bit subtle, is that the way that God expresses his wrath, I think, is, is different from what our preset understanding of, of the way that people experience or, or express wrath is, all right? And so, for example, with respect to the Assyrians, God doesn't just send lightning bolts and vaporize them and just like poke out their eyes with like floating sticks or something like that. What he does, and this is very important, is that he, he removes his protection from them. After 150 years, he finally says, okay, there's another empire, the Babylonian Empire, that is a little bit bigger and a little bit badder and a little bit uh, maybe a little bit more advanced at being violent and, and wreaking havoc on, so, uh, on other people. And so God looks at the Assyrians and he says, I want and I care about you. I want to be slow to anger. But if you consistently and continuously prefer to engage in this wickedness and this evil, I'm going to give you up to that. I'm going to hand you over. I'm going to honor your freedom. I'm going to honor your, the, 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 the opportunity that I've given you to choose to embrace, with, embrace me or to reject me. And so if all you want is violence, God says to the Assyrians, and if all you want is wickedness and decay, I'm not going to force peace. I'm not going to absolutely, you know, totally force you to engage with my love. And so even though it pains me, I think God would say, and even though God does not delight in the destruction of the evil, he hands them over, he hands them over, and he allows them to be destroyed by the Babylonians. But then again, just to be very clear and to emphasize what's going on, he refers back to this idea that he is slow to anger. Again, referring back to Exodus 34, the anchor point for who God is in the Old Testament. And he reminds his audience he's slow to anger and he's long suffering, but there is anger. It's possible for him to get there. It's possible for him to get angry. And while that is, I think it should be a sobering reality for us to think, man, it's possible for God to, to, to get cheesed off, for real. Like, it's not a joke. While it is a sobering reality, it is actually a good thing because he says the Lord is, is someone who is not willing to leave the guilty unpunished. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. And the truth is, and this is so vitally important as we try to maybe reorient ourselves to a healthy understanding of anger, the reality is that God loves the world too much to do nothing, he loves the world too much to do nothing. And wickedness and anger and wickedness and, and, um, and violence and hatred, it angers him. And so he does something about it, right? And so what, what I want you guys to know is that I think a lot of times in our culture and in our kind of cultural context, we think, we think this sometimes, man, I believe in a God of love. I believe in a God of love, not a God of anger. I believe in a God of love, not a God of anger. And what I want to submit to you, and I really care about this, and I think this is really important, is to understand that anger, anger is not the opposite of love. Anger is not the opposite of love. Hate is the opposite of love. Hate is the opposite of love. And the final and the fullest expression of hatred is indifference. For God to say, I, I have no interest in any party. I'm just totally out, I'm totally distant. And so indifference is really, is really the opposite of anger. And God is not indifferent. He cares. He cares. And so I know this, this is, uh, you know, heavy, this is like a heavy deal and it might raise some questions and some tensions in your mind. Maybe you're somebody that thinks, well, I thought, no, no, I, I I just believe in a God of anger, man. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't believe in a God of anger. I just believe in a God of love. And so what I want to do is just recognize that and just tell you that, that, man, this is actually a safe place. This is a safe environment. We're trying to create a safe environment here to have discussion and to have conversation, and we love you. And we're not just trying, this church is not just trying to cram our particular religious pill down your throat and get you guys to just like all fall in line. We care, and we want to have real discussion. We really believe that, that God is real, that the Bible is true, that Jesus is who he claims to be, but this isn't a brainwash factory. And so what we would encourage you to do even as you're trying to navigate, you might be somebody who's trying to navigate that conversation, is to um, really press into community here at Medina East to find a group of people that you can hang out with and wrestle through these conversations and wrestle through through these questions because they're important. And if we, like I said, if we get it wrong, we're either gonna reject God or justify our anger in a weird way or be mean or bad or whatever. And so one helpful resource you have available to you is life groups. We care about life groups. We care about you. So please, if you're not connected, you're really missing out on what it looks like to discover who Jesus is and to get and to get connected. We also have another resource uh, that I would recommend to you. Uh, in the summer, we did a series on emotions. And so if you're wrestling through different emotions and how that works out, I would encourage you, especially as it pertains to the relationship between love and anger. This is a very important topic to get right. And there was uh, a teaching that I got the chance to do called reclaiming our anger. I always get the anger ones. I think Pastor Tony's trying to tell me something. But um, I think it might be helpful for you to understand anger if you're trying to figure it out, all right? But here's the thing, all right? There's all these arguments, there's these nuances and these understandings and Hebrew words and all this, whatever, all this stuff. But I think for some of us, or maybe for most of us, a lot of us, this isn't just some kind of theological or philosophical problem, right? It's a deeply personal experience and it, and it is deep in our hearts. And, and we're trying to wrestle through our own experience of anger and maybe the ways that anger has jacked up our lives, the way that we have been hurt or, or infected or abused or, or seen violence and wickedness even in our own situation, in our own family, in our own uh, you know, neighborhoods, whatever. Maybe we've seen and experienced real anger. And so when we talk about God being slow to anger and we even hear the word anger, I think it might be possible that one question that's swirling around in our hearts and our minds is, well, is God angry with me? Is God angry with me? And maybe you've been told that he is. Maybe some religious person or some, you know, authority figure or something has given you the impression that, yeah, God is angry with you. If you don't do A, B, C, D, God is angry with you. Or maybe you've been taught that by just uh, observing somebody close to you. Maybe you have a parent or some kind of authority figure who claims to be, like, totally a religious, you know, Bible person or something, but then is just, like, wicked and hateful and, and, and harmful to you and angry. And so that might ca- cause a little bit of a disconnect. You're like, what's the deal with that? And the reality is, honestly, is that might be crushing you. I think that we might be a group of people that are potentially being crushed by a misunderstanding of anger, by the ways that it has hurt us, by the misrepresentation of good anger. And it might be crushing us. Maybe we're experiencing pain or fear. Maybe we feel like we cannot open up. We cannot be vulnerable. We cannot have real relationships or interactions because we've been hurt so bad by anger that we don't wanna open up. Or maybe some of us feel the real weight of guilt in our lives. We know that we have caused pain in the lives of others, and we've allowed the anger within us to express itself to other people. And we feel like we have to shut down, and we're just out of luck, and we're not worthy, and there's nothing we can do. And we're suffering. We're crushed by that weight of guilt when we think about the things we've done in our past. Or maybe you experience shame. Maybe you're somebody that did nothing wrong in, in, in a certain situation and had somebody just totally lash out on you and cause destruction and pain and heartache in your life. And you feel a, a sense of shame and you don't know, you don't know, am I worth anything? Am I, am I even, how could, this ha- how could this painful thing happen to my, in my life? And, and you feel shame and, or, or shame or guilt or fear or whatever. And so what I want to do is, as clearly and as boldly as I can say this sentence to you, is that in answer to the question, is God angry with me, the answer to that question is no. God is not angry with you. God is not angry with you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. He's not, <laughs> he's not angry with you. He's angry. God is angry, but not at you. He's angry at what hurts you. God is angry at what hurts you and what causes you pain and what, and what is going to infect and, and, and harm you and hurt you and what is going to lead you to things that are unfulfilling and unrewarding and unhealthy and painful. God does not like that, and he's not cool with that. And what that is, that thing that God is angry against and that he hates and that he despises and that he is wrathful against, that thing is sin. God hates sin. He hates it. Not because he just likes flying off the handle and raging, God rages against sin because it hurts us because it hurts us and it and it causes God frustration because he has a personal interest in us and when he starts to get upset and when he starts to get to get a little bit hot it's because he can see that we are being hurt that which he loves is is, is has the potential to be destroyed and that angers him and the reality is truthfully and this is an important thing to understand is that all of us, Have that potentially within us to destroy us. In fact, the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And that as we all are infected with this disease of sin, we all have an inclination to turn away from God, to define and direct our own lives, to assert our our autonomy from Him, and to define good and evil on our own rather than turning to Him. And we all are infected with that. The wages of sin is death, and it's terrifying and it's terrible. But The good news, the good news is that even though that is terrible and terrifying, God has done something to deal with that problem. And God has done everything to destroy what it is that hurts you and what it is that causes you pain at the deepest level, right? I'm talking about the kind of pain that is an eternal pain. God wants to crush and to destroy what is going to lead to your destruction. And I I see there's a really good example of that in the book of Isaiah, because it says in Isaiah 53 that he, referring to Jesus, referring to Jesus, it says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The reality is that we deserve the punishment and that we deserve to be separated from God because we chose to separate ourselves from him by following our own ways. And, and and God is like I'm going to give you over to that. I, I love you, but man, I have to I have to honor your freedom to, to be distant from me, unless you engage with the reality of the sacrifice that was made on your behalf in the person of Jesus. And Jesus on the cross. This is a a, um, a a prophetic statement referring to Jesus, and it says He that is Jesus was pierced for our transgressions for our transgressions for the ways that we have turned from him and engaged in anger and all these unhealthy and violent and and, and, and wicked things. And he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus experienced more emotional, physical, psychological pain on the cross than any of us even have the capacity to conceive of. And he did that out of love. And he was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment, the real serious awareness of God's hatred of Of evil and wickedness, in full measure, Jesus and the Father, Jesus the Son and God the Father partnered in the destruction of that on the cross. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, praise God, we are healed. In Isaiah 53, we all, and this is a true statement, like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. The Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. He who was without sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. And in Christ, if you recognize his love and his power and his truth and you turn your life over to him, man, you you get to cash in on that greatest gift of all time, the gift of Jesus, the gift of Jesus and him crucified and resurrected. And so what I want you to know, honestly, if you are struggling or wrestling through your experience of pain, trying to figure it out, And if you're wondering if God is angry with you, I'm telling you, and this is a true statement, is that God is not living to destroy you. Jesus died to save you. Jesus died to save you. And if you ask the question, is God angry with me? The answer is emphatically no. Is is God angry with me? No. God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal Life. God loves you so much that He allowed his anger against sin to to be taken to the fullest measure to deal with all of it so that so that Jesus could conquer Satan and sin and death, that he could be victorious, that he could conquer those things completely, that he could be a substitute in our place, that he could show us what it means to be really truly obedient. Jesus did a lot of stuff on the cross. Yeah, but he gave us capacity to have relationship with God. And God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Does God want to condemn me? Is God angry with me? Is God, you know, Does God want to condemn me? Next verse, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And I'm telling you the truth. Jesus loves you. And he died to save you. And God is slow to anger. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to embrace him. He wants you to experience the the vitality of his love. God loves you. Jesus loves you. He died to save you. So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. The question might be, now what? Like, what do I do with that? And like I said, trying to create a vulnerable and safe place to just be like, okay, what are we doing with that? Let's just rip our guts. Like, let's just rip our chests open and, like, let it be honest and be vulnerable and, and recognize this is a safe place, man. We love you guys. This is safe. Turn to your neighbor and say, safe safe place, sister. Very good. All right, safe place. And so here's the first thing I want to encourage you to do. If you're somebody that's investigating or trying to figure it out, I would really encourage you and maybe hopefully gently, I, I'm, I'm working on my gentleness, but hopefully gently encourage you to embrace Jesus, follow Jesus. All right. He is the king of glory and of grace he is perfect in His love and His holiness, and in His desire to have relationship with you. I spent a long time. I spent a quarter of a century running as far away from from Jesus as I could. I tried to fill my wife, fill my life with all the things that that distracted me from my wife, <laughs> uh, the, all the things that distracted me from the reality of God's love. Right? I spent I spent years and years trying to fill it up with my own version of reality and my own understanding, and it did not satisfy. But my faith in Christ and my whole concept of of existence started to shift. I became a new person, and we want that for you so badly. I've been on both sides of the equation, and I'm telling you, there's a difference. Jesus loves you. So follow him. Number two, I would recommend and encourage that you show and tell. This is a kindergarten thing, but I think it still holds merit basically allow your relationship with Jesus if you are a follower of Jesus allow that to be displayed and manifest and, and uh, in your relationships show show Jesus to the people that you live with to the, to the people that you work with allow his love to radiate out out of you and if people are interested in that or if you're just being open about who who he is to you tell people about it like allow allow uh, yourself the 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 ability to to, to speak of him Show who Jesus is to people, and tell of who He is. And last but not least, and I really kind of want to emphasize this one for, for today, especially uh, something that uh, a really close friend of mine has been saying a lot, which I really I think is a pretty sweet thing to say. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to show and tell. And last of all, praise God. In the second, we're going to we're going to sing and we're going to worship. Uh, we're going to worship Jesus. And what I want you to know, this is the true this is a true statement. Is that God is here in this place? He's in this room. He is in front of you. He is behind you. He is above you. He is beneath you. He is. He is here in this room. God is here. God is here in this place. And He wants, beyond any formula, beyond any theological construct, beyond any, you know, minutely detailed argument, He wants to get right to your heart. And and He wants to get in there and allow you to experience His presence and allow you to experience the life-transforming beauty of Jesus. That's what he wants. He wants a relationship with you. And so I'm just going to ask you to really to praise God and to, and to just open yourself up, to, to, to seek, to, to experience the freedom of his love and of the fact that he is slow to anger and that he shows his love in his son, Jesus. All right, so I'm going to invite the band up. Please, just if you are a follower of Jesus, praise God and, and really praise him today. And if you're somebody that's investigating, please open yourself up to him. He's the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life, all right? And so uh, as they get settled in, again, I just want to encourage you guys to do that. Jesus is the king. It's not a joke. And I was thinking about this this morning, actually, in my quiet time, uh, just thinking about the fact that Jesus is the king and that he is on the throne and that he is slow to anger and that he gives us his love and we have access to his presence even now. And it reminded me of this hymn that I really like. And so I kind of want to just read it to you as a poem. Uh, and basically I'm just going to read some stuff. My favorite thing to do is to read stuff out loud to people. So I'm just going to read you this stuff out loud, and then hopefully we're just going to get funky. That's my, my plan. Is I don't know if you guys want to get – we'll probably – okay. Medium funky. Or pretty, pretty funky, I think. I feel pretty confident. I have funk confidence. Here's the hymn. Loosey-goosey. <laughs> all right. Before the throne of God – this is a true statement, all right? Joy, joy – Bring joy, Lord Jesus, before the throne of God above, the almighty eternal king of glory, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. And I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look to see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect, spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am the king of glory and of grace one with himself I cannot die my soul is purchased by his blood my life is hid with Christ on high with Christ my savior and my god for god so loved the world this is this is ultimate eternal praiseworthy truth for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, but to save the world through him. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you're slow to anger. Praise you, praise you, Father. Praise you, praise you. And I thank you that we have the opportunity right now to uh, to sing, and that you have given us this gift of music to to allow to allow these these different parts of our heart and our emotions to just be impacted by you. And Father, I know I need that desperately. I need I need sometimes, Lord, I need the noise and the and the arguments and the confusion and the and the pain and all the guilt and all these different things to be washed over with the reality and the experience of your presence. And so that's what I'm asking here, Father, today, right now, that you would create in this place just an atmosphere of an experience of your presence and and an embrace, a a deepening embrace of the the personal reality of your love and of the the personally meaningful and significant, uh, the, the specificity of your love as it pertains to each person in this room. You know them, you know them all by name. And you love them and you form them and you care and you, and you want to connect with them at the deepest level. Lord Jesus, I ask, I beg, I plead that by the power of your spirit in a significant way, you overwhelm this room with an awareness of your love. Help us, Father, to be transformed by you. Please, Lord Jesus, we have, we have been angry. We have been, we have been hurt. We, we need you. We need you to transform us. I need you to be transformed. Father, please transform us. Use the music and and use our, our time together for the remainder of the day to move us in a direction toward an embrace of your love and toward an embrace of your personal presence in this place. We need you, you're the king, and we praise you, amen.